Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. It's peak season for asparagus, which pairs perfectly with a light and crisp rosé. Many bottles of champagne and sparkling wines are perfect for adult Easter baskets. And they're really cute, too. My perfect brunch? Belgian waffles with extra whipped cream and a holiday pour of your sweetest rosé. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine and More. Cheers! This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. From burnout and exhaustion to joy and fulfillment. Through the act of serving consciously, it's time to rediscover your passion. It's live with Elizabeth and guests on the Contact Talk Radio Network. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Serving Consciously. I'm your host, Elizabeth Bishop, and always so pleased to have you join me today. So you know that this hour we focus in on elements of what I call the conscious service approach and really what it means to be in conscious service in the world. And whether that translates into traditional roles like nursing and social work and and teaching, things like that, or alternative roles in our alternative therapies like Reiki or massage, um, or through personal caregiving to a loved one. Um, there's common threads and elements related to conscious service and, and how we can you know integrate that more fully into our lives. So I want to remind you again to visit my website at servingconsciously.com. Um, where you'll you'll find all kinds of resources there and information, and you can learn more about the conscious service approach and what that entails because it's involved. Um, we have been starting to go through some of the guiding principles and uh, cardinal truths over the last few months since the beginning of uh, 2018. But you'll also find um, replays as well and the recordings of all the previous shows of Serving Consciously where I've welcomed so many interesting guests over the course of the last couple of years um, and I have uh, plenty of guests as well lined up over the, the summer months. I'm getting very excited about some of the people who have agreed to join the show. So um, I'll be telling you a bit, little bit more about that later on. But again, thank you for being here today. And what I want to do today is uh, talk a bit about you know, sort of some foundational elements of the conscious service approach. But I'd like to introduce you to a couple members of what I'm calling your personal internal service committee some um, elements of yourself and aspects of your being that you can get more acquainted with and uh, develop a relationship with and fine-tune to bring into the service that you're offering in the world. So last time that we uh, talked specifically about the conscious service approach, I did give you a bit of an introduction to your experience novice. So I just want to give you a bit of a recap of that today. And then I will introduce you to your active witness and we'll talk a little bit about the role of observation, which is so um, integral to being of service in the world. And then look at some powerful guiding questions that will help direct us toward what it is we want to create in our lives or what we want to understand more fully and how we can incorporate um, that questioning process into really... um, you know, using the uh, skills of our experienced novice and our active witness in order to enhance our service. So we did touch last time on the idea of beginner's mind. 
And that's, I'm sure many of you have heard that term before. This is the state of mind that the experienced novice continually steps into. We, we don't stay, you know, in any static um, way of being at all, whether it's through our thought process or what we're feeling. Nothing is static, right? It's always continually evolving and shifting. And even with these aspects of our being, or even when we talk about things like being in integrity, you know, we don't stay in that place, um, you know, c- continually, our life is fluid and dynamic, so we step in and out of different states of being, different states of awareness. So it's really important for us to learn how to draw on what we know when we're talking about the experienced novice. Learn to draw on what we know and the expertise that we have while at the same time we're remaining open-minded and coming into our interactions with other people with a clean slate because we know how easy it is to sort of drag along, you know, previous stuff and old baggage, right? We talked last time too about the importance of being present to another person's story. So even when we can really closely relate, when we feel that we've shared a similar experience, or we can even say, you know, the exact same thing happened to me. The important thing is that we're able to convey that capacity to understand and relate to somebody else while we also are honoring the gift that it is to have the space, you know, for us to share Um, the experience without comparison to anyone else's story. And I think sometimes, you know, this is where that experienced novice is just a a beautiful element for us to bring into our interactions really with anybody, but so true in our service with other people. Um, Because one of our desires as a service provider is to help people feel that they're understood, right? That we can connect, that we're relating to them, that we understand what they're saying that we want to be with them through their process, whatever it might be. Um, But sometimes we can shut people down um, and take away the importance of their personal story if we um, seek to over, you know, to be over familiar with what's happening or if we um, turn the story and the focus onto ourselves, right? So sometimes we might really be intending to show understanding when we say things like, oh, I know how you feel, or I've been there, I can relate, things like that, which is something that really I think quite often is very unintentional and and really um, pure-hearted um, as far as demonstrating empathy and understanding. But what happens sometimes is that we unintentionally shut the other person down. And we may be minimizing their personal experience when we say things like, I know how you feel, or I'm, you know, uh, kind of can connect to your experience or the same thing happened. The experienced novice knows how important it is to listen to each story with genuine presence and engagement and that we're honoring the other person's experience through doing that. So one of the things that happens, and I think especially, you know, um, I think it happens in personal caregiving situations too, because we're talking about people that we know on a personal level that we've maybe known, you know, since the day we were born and quite often in many cases, right? If we're talking about caring for our parents and, um, and so we do bring our experience of that person in that relationship with us. If, um, you know, if we've now shifted into a personal caregiving role and we're not going to be able to get rid of that. It's just that it's about challenging ourselves to keep saying, okay, well, what can I see differently and how can I come into this fresh and when we are in service in a traditional or alternative way and providing service to people we're not related to, um, you know, we can get very 
familiar with certain approaches or we get familiar with the common aspects of experiencing something, you know, in a certain way. So for example, um, when I worked in brain injury rehab, you know, there'd be common kinds of things that people would experience as a result of brain injury. Um, you know, whether it be a challenge with memory or a change in personality, um, just different things that would be, um, common for people to go through. And just because it's a common experience doesn't mean that it's exactly the same, right? You hear that the same kinds of things with people who've been diagnosed with cancer. There's sort of common symptoms or common experiences, common side effects that people might have as a result of treatment. But each person has their own unique way of experiencing that and perceiving it. And that's where we want to stay. We want to stay in the balance uh, between pulling on the experience so that we, you know, understand what we're seeing or understand what we're hearing within that context, but then be really present to how that person is going through that process themselves and how they understand it for themselves. So the experienced novice is the open-hearted, well-grounded wisdom keeper. The experienced novice is the one who's remained ultimately full of curiosity and a willingness to see differently, which is probably the the part that needs more practice for us, right, the, the more honing in on is to, to always come into that state of, okay, I can see something different. How can I be curious about this? The experienced novice is the paradigm shifter who knows how to be with what is, who actually can embrace what is, and then at the same time, very patiently, seek a new way of being within that scenario. So as I was saying, regardless of years of service, you know, or length of relationship, everyone is both experienced and novice at the same time. And when we continue to return to beginner's mind, we're more able to see what's already been discovered in a completely new way. And then we can embark on a brand new journey, really. So, and that's what makes things exciting and interesting, right? That's the, that's the sweet spot where we continue to keep learning which is an element of the beginner's mind, right? I mean, when we talk about being in beginner's mind, we're sort of stating the, our awareness and our acceptance of the fact that we will be learning because we are a beginner and we'll be continuing to enhance our experience and our knowledge and skill. So this approach of being able to, you know, um, pull on experience and then also uh, step into this willingness to see something different you know, um, from what we've seen before is so important and extremely powerful when it comes to the development of relationship with people in service and also relationship with our coworkers, really any relationship. But as a service provider, um, the development of relationship with people who've come to you during a traumatic time or a challenging time is a key element in being able to provide quality service. So the experienced novice is continually challenging him or herself to let go of stereotypes, to let go of labels, to let go of stigma, to let go of limiting assumptions that come along with getting too familiar in an area. So again, I mentioned, you know, with my experience with brain injury or, you know, people who work with someone, people who've been diagnosed with cancer, but think about as well, say working in mental health or working with addictions, there's so many stereotypes labels and stigma attached with those kinds of experiences. And when you're working in those fields, you see a lot, you witness a lot, you go through a lot of challenges with people. Um, 
and and often a lot of traumatic uh, experiences that people are going through when they're struggling with mental illness or with addictions. It's it's a challenging area to be to be providing service in and a challenging experience for people to live through, right? And and so again, so powerful for you as an experienced novice, you as a service provider, pulling your experienced novice in to be able to say, okay, um, how do I let go of the fact that I'm seeing all these similarities, you know, all these similarities between the last 10 people that I've worked with and I'm seeing all of these challenges and how can I keep challenging myself to go beyond what looks like a barrier and an obstacle? Because if we don't do that, we get stuck behind those obstacles, you know, and we get, we have a hard time getting our way around it if we're continually focused on what seems to always go wrong or what seems to always be the challenge. We need to be in that beginner's mind so we can say, yeah, this is a common experience for people, but what's the alternative? And how, how could we start to work to get around this, to get to the other side of it or to move through it in a different way? How can we help people to find, you know, what they're seeking as far as health and well-being is concerned? So I guess the question really is, how do we continually step into beginner's mind? How do we keep, how do we know, you know, that we've um, even stepped out of it? How do we know that we're sort of just going on autopilot, you know, and, uh, and we, you know, just kind of have reverted to the way it's always been? Well, first, we need to be aware that we've disconnected in some way, right? So that we can grab the opportunity to re-engage in the moment. And the the whole, um, you know, experience of being self-connected is one of the crucial aspects of the conscious service approach, of the actual process of implementing the conscious service approach. Self-connection is is one of the main elements, one of the four I want to say cornerstones, although it's a very circular and interwoven kind of approach. Um, but it's one of the, the key cornerstones. So being connected to ourselves is essential in order to know um, where we stand, what we're feeling, what we're thinking, what uh, what state we're in, how we are perceiving what's happening, the belief systems that are involved, you know, and basically what how we're approaching things in that moment. And we move in and out of it all the time. So being able to identify what it feels like for you when you notice that you've disconnected. Like, what does that feel like for you? Um, it, do you tune in first to maybe some mental chatter that's kind of just getting in your way and really is, you know, maybe uh, not helpful, not productive, maybe negative, maybe focused on, uh, you know, sort of circular thinking around something that's not working out the way you want it to go, whatever it might be. Do you feel it in the pit of your belly? You know, do you feel it as an emotion, as anxiety coming up or something just doesn't feel right, that kind of thing. As soon as we, and really, I think I've said it before, but I'll say it again, the emotions are usually the quickest way of getting to that, you know, checking that barometer there to see where you're at as far as being in a, in a state of connection or not. If you can just tune in and how am I feeling, feeling right now? And if there's anxiety and upset and things like that, then you know that you might have a little disconnect going on and you can kind of do a quick check-in. But that gives us the opportunity to re-engage. So say, for example, and you know how we all do it, and then we'll, and we'll talk about this a bit more when we talk about the act of witness, but you catch yourself sometimes saying things you don't even really mean to say. 
And maybe, you know, something's going on that day, or maybe you're meeting with a bunch of different people that day in your role as a service provider, and you find yourself sort of spewing off the same party line, you know, now to the fifth person that day. So at that moment, then the second that that, you know, observer comes in and notices that, that gives you the opportunity to reconnect to your inner beginner again, or your experienced novice. So it takes a lot of awareness. And it takes a desire to keep moving back into a state of self-connection. And, um, and powerful guiding questions, I find, are um, excellent ways to kind of, you know, tune into that um, state that you're in. But then once you, you come into that place of self-connection, it's a great tool that you can use in order to connect with your beginner's mind. So here are a few questions. And I'll, I'll just mention again, with powerful guiding questions... The more that we can um, refrain from, use, from starting the questions with why, so instead of going in there and saying, why can't I get curious about this, we would go in and say, how can I get curious about this? We might start off with just even first saying, you know, am I feeling curious right now? Well, maybe, we're, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm feeling shut down. Well, how can I move myself into a place of curiosity? What is it that I would like to understand on a deeper level. So starting our questions with how and what can be very powerful because as soon as we're asking that question, the brain is starting to seek out the answers and starting to, the antennas are going up to kind of be able to pull on the information as it presents itself. And you're putting yourself in a place to be able to access your intuition at that point as well. Um, when you're asking those kinds of open-ended questions, um, and also looking at, you know, keeping the questions focused on ourselves. So, you know, not, no, not uh, you know, how can somebody else become more interesting so that I can get more curious, <laughs> but how can I just be more curious? How can I seek to understand, you know? And we keep the energy focused, the questions and the direction focused on ourselves in the moment, um, asking questions that will lead us towards the direction that we really want to go in, okay, as opposed to trying to, you know, say, fix something from the past or trying to control something in the future. So here's a few, um, a few examples of powerful guiding questions that can help you as you're checking in with your beginner's mind. So am I feeling curious? Let me start there. How can I challenge myself to think outside of the box? Now think about for, for those of you who work in organizations or within systems that have a lot of, you know, say hoops that you have to jump through, or maybe you've got government funding, you've got different processes, procedures, things like that. This is a great question to be asking ourselves daily. You know, how can I challenge myself to think outside of the box and to just even, you know, have little reminders around or post-it notes or things in your in your phone that will help you to remember some of these questions throughout the day when you have a moment because it's so powerful because when we work in systems like that or when we're trying to access systems that say even as a personal care provider it can get it's challenging right like we know what um, some of those obstacles are as far as funding and wait lists and you know communicating with people and having phone calls returned and things like that and that can be so frustrating that we then buy into you know, reaffirming over and over again that, that it's an obstacle for us. So we need to be challenging our ability to think outside of the box and be creative if we're going to find new ways to approach 
you know, some of these age old challenges that we come across. So here's another question. If I'm feeling bored, and so like say in the midst of a an interaction or just, you know, in the midst of your day at work or providing care, if I'm feeling bored, like I've heard it all before, what am I missing? So asking ourselves, what am I missing? How can I increase my level of engagement here? Bring myself more fully into the moment with this person. Here's another question. How comfortable am I with not knowing? Because I think sometimes the experienced part of the experienced novice likes to take over because that part of us feels comfortable with what we know. That part of us feels comfortable because we know. And we, I mean, we can all relate to the experience of, you know, starting something new, starting, uh, say, a new position, a new job, starting something new and feeling uncomfortable because we don't know and because we aren't sure. But as our experience occurs over time and as we reflect on what we're learning, we become more comfortable. Our confidence grows. And so we get very comfortable with knowing the ropes, you know, and knowing the routines and things like that. And so then can find that we become uncomfortable again when we're in situations that we don't know about. And this doesn't have to just be, you know, in the grand scheme of things as far as, say, a job position or job duties or responsibilities, things like that. But really um, becoming comfortable with not knowing all of the intricate and intimate kinds of details that um, are part of a person's experience, you know. And maybe we don't know exactly how we're going to support somebody in certain situations or certain um, challenges that they might be facing. Maybe we're not sure how to direct somebody or, or if what we're doing is going to be supportive and how comfortable can, can we be with that while we explore the options with the people that we're connected to. Here's another question. What does my experience tell me in this situation? So that's really actively engaging with the experienced part of ourselves to say, what does, what's it telling me about this that I can draw on? And then what does my open mind seek to understand? So what do I have? How can I bring that together for, you know, to move in the direction that's going to be supportive and helpful for this individual? And what, what can I, you know, bring in that's new and fresh and different or that I'm not understanding? What, what more information do I need to gather here that will also enhance this scenario in my service? And the other thing that you can do with this as well is to realize that any of these questions you can be asking of your own experience. So it's not always just about how am I offering this to other people, which is something that, you know, most of us as service providers get very comfortable with. How am I offering this outside of myself? Um, we have the opportunity to offer these same kinds of approaches, to ask these same kinds of powerful guiding questions in our own life with our own experience. So it really doesn't matter, you see, if you're new to the world of service or if you've, you know, say you're a new social worker, you're just, you know, um, coming into the field, uh, you're a veteran nurse, you've worked in the same ER, the same community for 20 years, or you're a family member, like we've said, discussed, thrown into the dual role of personal caregiving for a loved one. You're always coming with experience and there is always an opportunity to learn something in every single situation. I'm sure um, many of you have heard this before, but it really applies, I find, in, in this discussion today that we're all teachers and all learners. We're all teachers. We're all students. We all have something to offer to this situation. We all have something to receive and learn from it. 
And, and that's true in every interaction that we have. So we can kind of make life and make our role as service providers our ongoing classroom. So we're in, we are human beings that are we're in the process of evolution at all times, as, as we know. Falling back on our experience and sharing what we've discovered is a valuable element of providing service. And then approaching our interactions and relationships with curiosity and willingness to see something totally new is equally as valuable and very important for us to incorporate. Let's take a really brief break here and then come back. I want to share a little bit of story with you before we move on and talk about our active witness and the role of observation. This is Serving Consciously. I'm your host, Elizabeth Bishop, and we'll be right back after this message. of the same old boring training sessions you know those ones you sit in all day and take very little from head over to elizabethbishopconsulting.com to learn more about the conscious service approach and how your organization can benefit from webinars online programs and in-person workshops. Renew your sense of connection with yourself and others in real and meaningful ways. Be inspired. Be encouraged. Be energized. Be you and love what you do. Ready for a little inspiration? How about a moment in time to reflect, reframe, and rejuvenate? Join Elizabeth Bishop for Serving Consciously, a new radio show airing on the second and fourth Friday of every month at noon Pacific. Tune in to learn about the conscious service approach and find out how you can integrate who you are with what you do in service to others. Call in and speak directly with experts in the field and find out how they've discovered the joy of serving consciously.
Welcome back to Serving Consciously, everyone. I'm your host, Elizabeth Bishop, and today we've been talking, well, for the first part, we've been talking about our experienced novice, and who's one of the members that um, of your internal personal service committee that I wanted to uh, introduce you to today and um, and invite you to work with more closely as you look at your role in service to other people and service to the world. And I want to share a little story with you that really this is where this whole thought process for me around the experienced novice really started to kick in. I was working in uh, brain injury rehab at the time and, you know, with for a lot of people who've sustained a traumatic brain injury, there's a whole lot that's happened for them um, medically, uh, socially. You know, there's a lot of information out there about their injury, what they've gone through in their acute care process, surgeries they may have had, testing, rehabilitation, all kinds of things. So when, when we I worked in, in um, this rehab setting, we relied an awful lot on medical report, reports and other collateral information when it came to deciding were people, um, you know, was the service going to be useful for this person? And as we were taking steps, the initial steps in developing rehabilitation plans, we drew on that collateral, uh, collateral information quite extensively. And um, we had files at, at some points there for some people that were thick as a New York City phone book. You know, the paperwork was huge. And again, it, it had to do with, you know, what happened at the time of their accident or injury, what happened right after, what was happening ongoing um, before they were coming into a community-based rehabilitation program, what happened before even. We often had records that predated the injury, sometimes the school records or other medical information, things like that. It would take hours, as you can imagine, to sift through all of this material. And for a while, our policy was that everyone who might have some contact with that person when they entered service would read through everything. So, I mean, the, the amount of time was, was a little bit astronomical, and it was, frank, frankly, a, a huge waste of time. But more importantly, um, what we started to notice is that some, some of the people, you know, some of the facilitators would feel like they'd had a whole picture and knew the person before even meeting that individual because of all of the material that they had read. And in some ways, you know, um, it helps to have an understanding, you know, and to have a sense of what the person has experienced from, uh, you know, that perspective of their injury and what they, they've already been exposed to as part of their rehab. And for some people, um, they find that very helpful that they don't have to repeat the whole entire story. But the flip side of that is that it creates preconceived images, no matter how hard we might try to avoid that. There is no way that we cannot already have some preconceived notions in our mind about who we're going to meet after we read that kind of material, you know. It's just like, say, if you're reading a novel, <clears throat> you know, you create an image in your mind of the main characters that are involved in the story. Excuse me. Um, we create an understanding of, of who people are, and we're doing the same thing in these kinds of scenarios. So we saw that as starting to be, you know, um, a bit of a downfall, because it became almost as though uh, it was like an invisible shield that individuals, um, you know, some of the information they were receiving face to face from individuals was having a hard time getting through, you know, um, 
so it wasn't as useful as we originally thought that it was going to be. So without any intention to close down, it was inadvertently happening um, as far as shutting, sort of shutting people down to their story or being shut down to people's story, leading to uh, missing really important information um, that people were offering that was just way more relevant to their current experience. And I think the other thing that happened was that it really stifled the relationship building opportunity that happens when we are engaged with somebody and learning about them from their own perspective, their own words, their own interpretation of what's happened and how they've been impacted, right? So just as I was saying earlier, you know, as much as we might, you know, sometimes it can be happening as a service provider, it can be happening in a friendship or, you know, anywhere in an interaction, somebody shares an experience and, and it just resonates, right? And it just hits home and you think, oh my God, been there, done that. I've, I've had that experience that's so powerful for me, I can relate, you know, which is a wonderful feeling for us to have. Um, and yet at the same time, we have to remember that we do not go through our experiences as similar as they may be in the same way. We don't all interpret it the same way. We don't feel the same way. Um, we don't cope the same way, you know, and we don't all come out the other side in the same way. And when we're in the role of providing service, I mean, you know, it's one thing you and your friend are sitting there talking about shared experiences and going back and forth and doing that. There's a different dynamic. There are different expectation. But when we're in the role of being a service provider, um, the expectation is that the focus as far as the goal of our interaction is on the individual. And, you know, we're responsible for focusing on our own internal processes and anything that might come up for us that's um, ready to be moved through or healed or understood on a different level. So it's just so important to remember that, though, because listening to personal story tells us so much about how someone perceives their experience and the meaning that they've attached to their life events. So and think about as well as a personal care provider, as we mentioned a little while ago, you're likely in service to a loved one that you've known for in a certain capacity for many years. You know, it could be a parent, a spouse, it could be a child, could even be a dear friend, but someone that you've known intimately for a long time. And it's very easy then to get comfortable with what we know about them and then not even notice the subtlety of their evolution as they're going through whatever has required you to be in personal care to them. So if your loved one is experiencing a decline in their health, you could be challenged by the urge to just continue to expect them to behave as they always have, right? If they can no longer perform a certain task, it could be really hard to accept that reality, not only as it impacts your loved one, but also as it might be affecting your own life as well, which is the truth of these kinds of situations, right? It's challenging. Everybody is going through something when one of our loved ones becomes ill or injured. So some of the change that can occur in the situations are things that we often don't want to see or accept. So there's that's part of it as well, right? We just don't want to know that that's happening. But there could also be subtle shifts that your family member could be experiencing that you have trouble seeing as well. Parts of their personality maybe that you gave up a long time ago. I remember watching, um, if anyone's ever seen this movie, Don Juan DeMarco. Now, it wasn't about personal caregiving, although Marlon Brando played a psychiatrist to uh, Johnny Depp's character. 
And um, he and his wife, the story would kind of go back and forth between his sessions with Johnny Depp's character and with his wife. And this interaction that he had with uh, Don Juan DeMarco, Johnny Depp, really sparked him in his career. He was right near the end of his career, just on the verge of retirement. His curiosity went right through the roof. He became so passionate about his role again and um, so curious. He was just curious and just filled with life and sort of, you know, the whole lover's energy came over him. And there's a scene in the movie where he's talking with his wife and he's saying to her, you know, I want to understand, you know, what makes you who you are and what, what gets you going and what do you love and what's important to you. And they've been married for many, many years. And she just kind of looks at him at one point and she says, I thought you'd never ask. And you see, it's that kind of dynamic, right? For years and years and years that we can get so used to seeing with our loved ones that when something starts to shift or change, that if we're not present and in that space, we miss it. We don't, we don't know that it could actually shift and change, that somebody's personality could potentially soften in, you know, say if they're in their later years and we'll miss that gift if we are just stuck in the experienced part of our um, relationship with that person. So for many people going through any form of crisis, there's often an element of spiritual reflection that's involved. We often tend to become inclined to introspection when we're healing and growing. And it's very true, I find, for, for people who are dying. And it seems to be part of that human desire to make sense of it all and to feel you know, some kind of peace and, and something in the process. So if you're going through a time like that with someone you love, engaging your experienced novice could make all of the difference in the world um, for you and for them. Your experience and relationship provides you with the starting point, your foundation. And even if you have tension or conflict, you know, that's familiar, you've got familiar ground. And it's this foundation that um, creates the space for intimacy to deepen. So if you can also come to this relationship with fresh eyes, willing to see with your heart, then that's when we can be very, very surprised by what we notice in another person. And I think that there's nothing like learning something new about someone that you've known for a lifetime. Absolutely precious uh, opportunity. So remember those powerful guiding questions for your experienced novice. And... Um, really focus in on how you can be honing uh, your curiosity and your willingness to understand and your willingness to see something new, willingness to be wrong about something, you know, especially if experience has led you to believe that, you know, believe something that doesn't serve yourself or anybody else, you know, um, to believe, you know, I was talking about this in class with students the other day, if we have a deep seated belief that the systems we work within are broken, then that's going to really, you know, impact on the way that we approach our work, um, the way that we feel, you know, if you if we go into a traditional kind of setting, and we feel the system doesn't work, and we're going in there every day with that belief embedded inside of us, then it's going to become a pretty cumbersome, um, exhausting kind of process, right? So we can be um, checking those aspects of our experience and looking to gain experience that tells us something different, 
and having that willingness to be wrong, which is a, a very powerful guiding question. Am I willing to be wrong about this and see what can be replaced and what can come up instead? Let's take another quick break and then we will talk about the act of witness. You're listening to Serving Consciously. I'm your host, Elizabeth Bishop, and we'll be right back. of the same old boring training sessions you know those ones you sit in all day and take very little from head over to elizabethbishopconsulting.com to learn more about the conscious service approach and how your organization can benefit from webinars online programs and in-person workshops. Renew your sense of connection with yourself and others in real and meaningful ways. Be inspired. Be encouraged. Be energized. Be you and love what you do. Ready for a little inspiration? How about a moment in time to reflect, reframe, and rejuvenate? Join Elizabeth Bishop for Serving Consciously, a new radio show airing on the second and fourth Friday of every month at noon Pacific. Tune in to learn about the conscious service approach and find out how you can integrate who you are with what you do in service to others. Call in and speak directly with experts in the field and find out how they've discovered the joy of serving consciously. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Elizabeth Bishop. We're talking today in Serving Consciously about the experienced novice, and now we're going to talk a little bit about the act of witness. So just to, to talk about observation and stuff for a bit, I'm sure many of you are familiar with that concept of becoming the observer in your life, right? The observer is often described as that piece of your being that just simply watches the show as the events of your life unfold within you and around you. The observer notices your responses on every level of your being. 
It's in tune with the chatter of your mind, the emotional sensations that course through your body, belief patterns, interpretations, past experiences. All of these are seen through the eyes of acceptance when we're using our observer. The observer is fully comfortable with what is, and it offers you the space of grace. And this is precisely the environment that's most conducive for the act of witness to emerge. This presence of the act of witness actually takes that baton from the observer and engages more dynamically with all that bubbles up to the surface. So while the observer takes a somewhat passive yet curious role, the act of witness operates with assertion. The act of witness is motivated by the energy of expansion and a commitment to elevation. So as your personal act of witness matures, you find it easier to challenge those aspects of yourself that are ready to be shed so that a refreshed version can be realized. So the act of witness would have something to do with that, um, you know, question that we just left off with, am I willing to be wrong? You know, the mature act of witness would be behind that kind of process for sure. So it's a sort of tough love, this act of witness, but with a gentle embrace that gives you a sense of security, gives you the courage that would be required to transform. The act of witness never ever berates or scolds you, because we know that's the job of the ego. But the act of witness rocks you, is gentle, you're in a sea of compassion, and always the act of witness is holding the vision of your highest expression from a place of unconditional acceptance. So you're never going to fear an interaction with your act of witness because you know that you can't disappoint. You know that you're safe, you're secure, and you're in charge of that interaction. You call that act of witness in when you see that there's an opportunity. So you might find yourself becoming very eager to engage with this aspect of yourself because you've come to love the insights that are offered through the act of witness perspective. And conversations with your act of witness have become an adventure providing you with a bird's eye view of yourself. So we are the witnesses and I'm sure like in the act of witness, I'm sure that you've all heard of John Kabat-Zinn's um, work around mindfulness meditation where he talks very much about um, the role of observation, right? Becoming the observer, becoming the witness and watching things unfold like mental events or like, floating by like clouds or balloons that we just observe and see. Now, when you're actively engaged, you are taking a more dynamic um, presence with those observations. So we are the observers of everything that's occurring within us and around us if we choose to be in that state. And it's important that we recognize that the act of witnessing is not limited to just the thought process or the sense that we make out of something. And it's not purely based on emotional impact or response. So we are witnessing both our internal process, states of being, including the thoughts and emotions, and then also external events, including the experiences of others. And that's always a key aspect of being a service provider, right? We learn, most of us learn that very early on, how important it is to hone our observation skills and to be very, um, really to be very objective with our observation skills. But the thing is, it's just like I was mentioning with all that, those big thick files that we used to read through um, before we met people, no matter how hard we tried, after we read all of, all of that material, we were coming to different conclusions and interpretations based on what we had read. We had an image in our mind. That's part of our human 
makeup. It's not something we want to get rid of. It's something that we want to understand and work with and challenge so that we don't get, get stuck. So being objective in our observations is very important. But then we know at some point as a service provider, we are making interpretations and attaching meaning to what we observe. And that is where the active witness can come in and really challenge us to be sure that we are not only checking on the accuracy of our observations, but that we're catching ourselves if we step into, you know, um, the, the area of judgment and bias and things like that. So that relationship between observing what's going on inside of ourselves and what we're witnessing outside of ourselves or in, with our experiences with other people, that interrelationship there provides a beautiful opportunity for learning. And so really, like we've talked about before, there's sort of three steps there that can strengthen the act of witness, awareness, acknowledgement, and acceptance. So we're looking at being aware and connected to our experience, including our own thoughts, feelings, interpretations, responses, all of those kinds of things. Because it's so, it's impossible, right, to acknowledge or accept anything if we don't have the awareness of it to begin with. So to be an active witness is to be engaged in what you see happening and the meaning that you're attaching to any of these events on the internal level at the same time. So it's a lot of self-connection that's going on there. And we need a lot of patience with ourselves and with others during that kind of process. It's about being able to remain present so that we can hear what's happening inside of us, so we can feel what's happening inside of us, and so that we are able to seize the moment where our point of power exists, right? Where we can, like I said before, where we check in and say, oh, wait, you know, I've stepped out of uh, integrity or I've disconnected. Now I can step back in. That's the point of power. And it gives a really wonderful opportunity, as I mentioned before, for accessing the gift of your intuition. So it's about developing this capacity to be engaged in that way in the moment. So not so much about reflecting on things after, afterwards or reflecting ahead of time, but really being connected. The act of witness is, is, is an entity that exists in the here and now, okay? And you're really looking at what's happening in the moment with your experience and what you're, what you are, um, witnessing as well. We don't, we're not talking about getting lost in our inner process, but again, observing it and realizing that being connected to our own internal process while we're in interaction with other people is really the only way that we can be fully present with somebody and genuinely contribute to the interaction, you know, in a real and meaningful way. So we don't have to, you know, give voice to our inner processes and what's happening unless it would be in the best interest of everybody involved. We can just notice it and acknowledge it. And then, again, you step into that moment of being able to powerfully make choices and decisions about the next move. It's about being more deliberate then um, rather than resorting to an autopilot kind of mode and just going on default. So it really... Um, in turn deepens your levels of self-awareness, but also holds great power for, for you to be able to connect, um, engage in enlightened communication, another aspect of conscious service, and to really be involved in transformative relationships. And it helps. So say, for example, you're, you're noticing you've got some disagreeable emotions going on. You're sort of pushing things down. You have some critical thoughts coming up. You're feeling 
some judgmental ideas coming into your mind as you're listening to somebody. Being connected to that is going to be the key where you're going to be able to transcend it. So being able to say, just to notice within yourself, oh, that judgment's come up. I acknowledge it's there. I'm coming back into the moment. And that you're, you know, you can even ask yourself a powerful guiding question. How can I um, re-engage here, you know? And that is extremely, extremely powerful. And people who you're sitting across from and engaged with will feel that. So here are some powerful guiding questions that can help you to engage with your observer and to connect more with your active witness. So if you notice recurring thought patterns, you can ask, what's triggering these thoughts? How do I feel when I think these thoughts? What would help me to let go of these thoughts? Now, if you're in the midst of a conversation with somebody, you're not going to get into all that much stuff within yourself, but just to stop for a second within and say, oh, to just acknowledge, oh, I've had a thought triggered. These are questions that you can ask after that, or I've had a judgment triggered, that kind of thing. And again, on your own, you can engage in an activity where you're speaking directly to the thoughts that you observe. If your thoughts are uncomfortable or upsetting, you can be reminding yourself that what you're thinking isn't necessarily the truth, that you do deserve to feel better, that things actually can be different, that everything in this moment is okay, because most of the time it is. And as service providers, we use our power of observation, as I mentioned, all the time, and it's one of the great gifts of our practice. So very seldom are we simply just observing another without attaching that meaning, as I mentioned. So the active witness is the one that chooses active engagement and challenges ourselves within as we interpret what we are observing in others. And it's from that place that we can more effectively share what we have observed and check for accuracy of our interpretations. So you can be saying to somebody, okay, I'm listening to what you're telling me, I'm sort of noticing that maybe you, see, you seem anxious today or you seem upset. And I have a couple thoughts coming up. Can I check in with you to see if I'm on the right path? Or maybe I'm misinterpreting something. And then you just, you know, you avoid so much miscommunication. And you can also, though, honor what might be coming up for you as you're listening to somebody else. And again, this is super helpful when we're noticing that biases or judgments have been triggered, which is common for all of us as human beings and, of course, all of us as service providers. But that active witness can help us to suspend anything that arises so we can stay present and available to another individual from a place of objectivity and openness. So a couple of questions that you can maybe reflect on. How do you use your observation skills as a service provider? How are you incorporating that into the service that you offer into the world um, and with other people? And then how can you utilize these same skills as an observer in your own life? And, and I would be so curious. I would love it if you would visit me um, on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or anywhere you like um, or check out the website, servingconsciously.com, and share some of the um, ideas that come up for you if you do practice asking yourself any of these questions. And choose even just one that we talked about today um, to focus on and because I always find when I put those kinds of questions out there for myself um, when I just set an intention to understand something on a different level that all kinds of things open up and suddenly you become tuned in to stuff that you may have overlooked before it's kind of like the second you feel like you want a yellow 
Volkswagen that that's all you see on the street, you know. So it's just opening up our hearts and our minds to be able to um, to understand ourselves in a different way and to see something fresh and new. So please do check in with me at servingconsciously.com. Um, I hope that I provided you with some valuable information today so that you can get more in touch with your experienced novice and your active witness and really bring those members of your internal personal service committee on board, um, not only to enhance the service that you're bringing into the world, but to enhance your experience of the service that you're bringing into the world. Thank you so much, everyone, for all that you do. And thank you for joining me here again today. I wish you all very well, and I will look forward to seeing you again next time. You've been listening to Serving Consciously. I'm your host, Elizabeth Bishop. Please have a beautiful, beautiful day. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Serving Consciously with your host, Elizabeth Bishop. Consciously create your approach to work. Visit www.elizabethbishopconsulting.com. Join us on every second and fourth Friday at noon to continue rediscovering your passion. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Every bunny loves honey glazed carrots. A great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Wine is made in virtually every country in the world, and I'm ready to give you a tour to find the right one. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine and More. Cheers! Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. It's peak season for asparagus, which pairs perfectly with a light and crisp rosé. Many bottles of champagne and sparkling wines are perfect for adult Easter baskets. And they're really cute, too. My perfect brunch? Belgian waffles with extra whipped cream and a holiday pour of your sweetest rosé. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine and More. Cheers! <laughs>